With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the FCB Radio Network. Home of the best personalities. And where real talk lives. Online at FCBRadio.com. FCB. from the 216 on the FCB Radio Network. Hey, 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 everybody. This is Ashley with Views from the 216. Um, And I am coming to you with a new episode. Um, Our intention today is to talk about the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine. Um. <clears throat> So I do hope that everybody is doing well. Everybody is still safe and and sound and healthy. Um, I do pray that we have some resolution to our current circumstance. Um, I understand that it's difficult for all of us. Um, of course, I'm still here recording at home with the possible interruption of dogs at any minute, um, which is a minor situation given what everybody else is going through, either through health or through economic issues. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, we're all waiting through this. We're, we've gotten through the election, um, and we have a new president now, and Joe Biden, um, there is at least a place in my mind of a little bit of comfort that there's some consistency at the helm. Um, we are in a week that, that um, Congress is going through with impeaching Trump and the purpose of uh, impeaching him is to make sure that he can never run for office again. Um, and so we, there's a, there is always a lot going on as we're recording and, as we uh, pick through topics to discuss. Um, But this is something that I wanted to kind of get through uh, at the beginning of the year last month. But um, the Capitol riots happened. And so we definitely talked about that. Um, So pretty much... I was in a place where um, I've been thinking about the question or, and people have asked me directly, are you getting the vaccine? And 
intuitively, um, I was like, well, yeah. And um, I guess also my response is by time, by the time I get the vaccine, it, there'll be um, many other people who are in front of me <clears throat> and will know what the effects and the results of, of the vaccine are too. So, um, you know, by that time, pretty much for me, you know, evidence and answers and things like that would be, would, would pretty much be available and there would probably be no real reason for me not to get the vaccine. Um, <clears throat> And then, of course, there's this, this constant conversation about hesitancy um, of other, of even medical professionals, for example, um, here in Ohio, at least, when the vaccine came and were, there was a rollout plan and people who lived in um, communal living situations, um, medical professionals, and it was this whole plan that they were all were going to get vaccinated first. Well, one of the first things <clears throat> that um, then came, so so there's been a lot of lot of conversation period across the nation as far as having trouble with getting people um, getting the vaccine to people, getting people vaccinated for one reason or another, and so there's been a lot of reasons that there's been no real plan. There's um, uh. There is limits and, you know, so there, there are strict limits that um, governments, state governments are putting on as far as who can get vaccinated and so forth and so on. And so then there's not enough people, just a lot of stuff. So one of those and so one of those things definitely here in Ohio and I think in other places were also that some people who were eligible to get the vaccine <clears throat> were not um, willing to take the vaccine. And that's spe specifically um, people who were em employed in um, either healthcare facilities or communal living facilities that they opted not to take the vaccine. Um, <clears throat> so I really just kept saying to myself, one of the things that kept coming to one of the things that kept coming to mind um, as I continue to listen to, um, just all the results of, or the questions about the vaccine and the responses of the vaccine was one, <clears throat> this is not the only pandemic that we have seen in history. Um, this is not the first time it has happened. And two, um, some of the things that I learned when I was a, a policy student and working on my master's degree in terms of the evolution of um, civilization. So <clears throat> um, the formation and the creation of um, what our modern societies look like. So this, this has nothing to do with um, animal evolution, just how societies have have struck have become come what they look like today and organized in the way that they are today. <clears throat> and so that particularly was um, 
the book called Guns, Germs, and Steel, The Fate of Human Societies, um, that was written by Jared Diamond. So I read this book over, my goodness, um, probably like 15 years ago at this point. It was in one of the first classes that I took working on my master's degrees. And I found it um, very interesting. And this was also um, first, not not real introduction, but I guess real study on what um, the global economy looked like. Um, and so all of those concepts are coming into play as I was going through um, this as I was going through this process of getting my master's degree. At this point, I will say that as I looked over some of the reviews recently on guns, germs, and steel, there is some um, debate and question, as always happens in a scholarly environment. So I just do want to put that out there, that there's things that have been written since I read it and um, place points that may have been uh, debated or even debunked. But yet, the basic concept, I think, still kind of holds true in this situation that <clears throat> human society and the way that we interact with one another, the way that we formed our institutions and structures have been influenced by technology. <clears throat> and that is the technology of gun, guns, germs, and steel. So guns, of course, is what it is. Sounds like weapons. Germs are <clears throat> the introduction in society of various bacteria and viruses. And steel, effectively, is any technolog- technological uh, resource. Um, so steel <clears throat> definitely points directly to the Industrial Revolution. Um, but now we're definitely in a point of the Technological Revolution. Um, so that's <clears throat> what steel is pointing to. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So one of the things I kept saying to myself is, at what point did we decide that human society and our, our structures um, stopped evolving, stopped changing? That these concepts or these factors or, or and potentially maybe other factors. Um, so, th- again, this is just one man's theory and he grouped these things into three different distinct factors and so research and excuse me other people and things like that can definitely come up with either more categories or less or however but the fact of the matter is it is effectively saying that there are things that influence the way in which human beings live on this earth um so I kept saying to myself this is just a normal part of human evolution. And at some point, we just must not have thought um, that that would happen anymore. And that's especially in the sense that 
you know, people kept saying, oh, in 2020 or in this day and age, you know, how could this happen? How could this happen? And so, um, and especially within the, the, the medical, um, I guess, sci- scientific field in terms of bacteria and viruses, we had some concepts that I guess we discovered all of them or we knew how to tackle all of them and we never faced anything like that today. So for me, that was just kind of counterintuitive. Now, I do understand that we don't think about it and I can't say that there was some, this something that I constantly think about and I'm all worried about germs. I am the least, least like germaphobe person ever. Um, I am one that's, kind of has an attitude sometimes of, you know, we're going to die from something. So, you know, YOLO, live your life and don't be super worried. Not that I don't take basic hygienic precautions like washing your hands after going to the bathroom or daily um, showers and things like that and clean clothes and all that other stuff. But, you know, I, I do live a life where I'm not afraid to get dirty and not afraid to interact with animals or, you know, or interact with people. Um, because just simply, it's just not something that I care to worry about. Um, but anyway, so to say that though, I can understand how we go about our daily lives and the concepts of, or the thought process of discovering a new anything, to be honest, right? When we hear that we have discovered a new species of animal, scientists have discovered a new species of animal, or um, I read sometime last year about the evolution of um, some new crab or something to that nature, or, you know, some some changes in, in crab and finding a new species of crab or something like that. Like, those things are pretty awesome, Um, And they're pretty um, and awesome in the sense that you're kind of say to yourself, like, wow, like, how do you get to a place where there's still discovery of new things? So, yes, we are in a place where so much we have a world full of knowledge. And so it's pretty interesting or it's pretty amazing. You're awestruck in the fact that, you know, something new was discovered when you almost feel like have a sense of like, well, everything out there is to be discovered. But nonetheless, if that was really and truly the case, there are a lot of scientists and scientists in any any manner, social scientists, um, uh, physical scientists, so geologists, whom, whomever would not be uh, at work, historians even, um, there would not be jobs for them. And, you know, so we can talk about the economics of that, whether or not there's a lot of jobs and blah, 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 blah. But the fact of the matter is, is there are still people daily who go to work and do these things that are looking for new discoveries, new ways that that systems work, um, biological systems, um, human systems, all of these things. So there is new knowledge and new things to be found every day. But I think there is a moment where we're kind of unimpressed by it because it is natural and it is is routine. So <clears throat> anyway, so my, the point of that is that it really came to me 
as I started thinking about it, that we definitely had to consider just that. We had to consider now, um, first of all, the reality of how life works and the fact that there are new and different things and there's new discoveries to be made. There's new... um, New thing. There's just there's just new just that. It's just new discoveries to be made, um, and it may take years to find something. Um, but I guess it's just simply like um, I think the saying goes is nothing stay something to the fact that nothing stays the same, um, or nothing can be expected but change or something like that. I don't even think that's how it goes. But I think you guys get what I'm trying to say. Um, If I wasn't trying to directly say it and it was just in some random conversation, I probably would hit it right. But now that I'm trying to pull that that, um, quote, I can't find it. Um, Can't say it right. But anyway, um, you guys get it. So that's one. And I think in the question of vaccination and the question of um, just, just dealing with these issues of trust. Cause that's really, once we get into the vaccination situation, just even once we get to how we handle, uh, what is being recommended, recommended for us right now to do in order to try to control this virus is that we have to kind of think about that, right? Because even just to lend to that too, there's, you know, all these conspiracy theories and it being a man-made virus and um, somebody directly and purposely doing doing something. And, you know, I guess I'm not here to say that that's impossible. But what I am here to say is that if you take a look at human history, what is more likely is the truth of the matter is that we have found something new. And so there is a point to me to say that the problem, the issue right now, the reason why this is a pandemic is because it is new, because nobody has any real, um, Um, Way has had any reference on how to deal with this and how it affects one another, how it affects humans and the human population and what can be done to control it. So we first started off with some real basic uh, practices in disease control. So I do want to say that for sure, about the mask. Um, You know, as much as you want to say that masks don't work or um, there's no real evidence and blah, 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 blah. The fact of it matter is, if you truly think about it, it, masking, gloves, um, sterile environments are just basic precautionary measures that are taken every single day to prevent um, the spread of any disease, curable or uncurable. Um, So I do think we need to not be sure not to radicalize, um, 
you know, being asked to wear a mask or being asked to social distance. Um, again, with the concept of, um, of being a carrier and there's a lot of diseases there's a lot of, of from genetic diseases and otherwise that there is the concept of of carrying and you being a you being like a host and um being or bring a bring a spreader but not being affected you know that's not a new concept that's something that people have seen um <clears throat> over and over again from, I mean, things like HIV, um, we've heard. And at this point, we should know that you can be a carrier of the disease and you can spread the disease, even if you're not having um, symptoms of the disease, adverse symptoms of the, of the disease yourself. So <clears throat> there are, are plenty of things that we do know that people can... Um, that affect people differently so people can can carry them but yet transmit them to other people and someone else can have a more severe reaction. So we take precautions. Again, I just mentioned HIV. So our precaution to HIV is safe sex practices. They're condoms. So guess what? We've been asked to wear, um, we've been asked to wear Condoms on our face, kind of, <laughs> to be a little silly about that, but that's effectively what it is. And again, everybody knows that a condom, you're never 100% um, 100% protected. The only protection from sexually transmitted disease, the only real protection from pregnancy and things like that. And pregnancy is not a disease. I'm not trying to equate that. But we're just talking about, you know, sex ed, right? The only protection from that is abstinence. But again, you know, we basically, as especially as grown adults, will effectively know that abstinence is not something that we can require of every human. So we develop something to try to pre be a preventative, to lessen the chance. So what... Is being said with hand washing, what's being said with face masks, what's being said with keeping social distance is let's be preventative. And if you just think about that in the sense of you know that somebody is sick, you, no matter what their ailment is, even if it's not contagious, what we know is that people need to be isolated and quiet and rested. Um, so we need to, you know, be very reasonable about just what we're asking to do as we have sciences and other people trying to figure out how to better control this pandemic, better control this virus that they, at this point, have not had it, had a true history with working with. <clears throat> um, so I, I, I do want to make this point, and I guess this whole thing is that it's really, in this discussion, this is me trying to make sense of what's being asked and what's going on and shed some light into to the history, set, shed some light into the, the rationale <coughs> of what's going on. Um, so I am, I, I, I am not a... 
um, medical scientist. Um, I have had a very, um, I think, sound education, basic education in the sciences, um, especially through high school. Shout out to Mr. Steiner. <laughs> my high school biology teacher who made sure that we were very clear on um, very had very very clearly taught a lot of us our our high school science and biology um, and then I even continued some of that through college um, so anyway so I just say that to say that some of these references and some of these thought processes are coming just from that, from just saying, you know, well, what do I know about the history of disease and what have I been taught and whatever, you know, all of that initial is the initial process. And I've gone now to <clears throat> go on and kind of look through what is some of the updated information. So to that, um, I went and did a search, and the search was on the history of disease. So hopefully I covered the, the kind of covered the Jared Diamond thing. So I threw that in there just to cap that off. That was my initial thought, guns, guns germs, and steel. The initial thought was, this is a part of uh, the evolution of society, and our society is still evolving, it's still changing. And so we have now been shocked into a place of where germs of this virus is now um, creating a shift in how we go about our daily lives. And we have heard that some of these things may be permanent. Um, and I guess it just has to, it, it depends on the end results of the science and medicine that may come. But for the foreseeable future, even with the vaccine, so we're even saying that with the vaccine, they've even said with the vaccine right now, we still have to wear masks, we still have to social distance and so forth and so on until we reach a certain level. And that level, it is not clear when we'll be. It does seem like it will still take at least several months. Um, and... The government is dealing with, the again, the challenges of how to effectively get um, vaccines to people. There's been issues with storage uh, in Ohio, for sure. And I think it affected some other places as well. Walgreens um, has been cited as, I don't want to say mismanaging, but basically the we know that the vaccine has a very short shelf life after defrosting and so there are people that got ineffective vaccines because the shelf life had had expired um so there's there's so there's just issues there's issues and there's challenges um of trying to get to a resolution so but anyway, so that was the first thing. The first thing was about just the 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 process, the evolution of society and the way that we interact and commune with one another. 
So then I said, well, you know, what was happening with the, that we've, we've been vaccinated. We have been vaccinated. Vaccinations are commonplace, right? Um, so there is, there has been this anti-vaxxer movement um, that I feel like came about about the time that I had my daughter. My daughter was born in 1998. So somewhere in that time, I remember um, I wasn't hesitant at all, but I just remember considering uh, what vaccines could do. She got all her vaccines. She got them all on time. So it wasn't a, a a real pause at all. But I just remember having this conversation was in the news um, and having to just having some thoughts about it really. Um, but the, the regardless of that sentiment, and we'll try to get to talk about the anti-vaxxer um, piece of it. Um, as a good researcher, you try to get information on both sides of the argument. So we'll try to get to the anti-vaxxer piece of it in a moment. But the second piece is just that we do get vaccinated. And uh, truthfully, as we are um, a market-driven society too, we have not only vaccines, but we have medications and things like that that come out all, all the time. Um, and there's updates to vaccines and things like that. So anyway, I kind of went into the history of, um, of pandemics and the history of, um, vaccines. A lot of this is on history.com. Um, they have a quite extensive, um, quite extensive stories um, and information on various vaccines and um, how they all come together in a timeline. So um, one of which was, uh, and I think I got this from history.com. Um, but there was one place where I found just pretty much a list of, um, diseases that we don't think about. Um, so that list is rabies, polio, um, The flu, okay, and that's it. <laughs> so go going back over there, oh, and the one I missed, so going back over that, I didn't mention smallpox, rabies, polio, and the flu. Um, 
all of these are diseases that um, have a vaccine. And the vaccine has been effective enough to the place that um, this is not something that we commonly worry about on a regular basis. Now, it is good to mention that the only thing that has truly been eradicated is smallpox. And smallpox was eradicated because of the vaccine. Now, the other vaccinations, um, uh, most of them are something that we have had the luxury of being able to specifically live in the United States. And um, <clears throat> for that reason, um, it is not much of a concern to us here in the U.S., but there are certain areas and regions that still have an issue. Um, and then also, for example, what's unique? Um, one of them that is unique is, for example, the rabies vaccine. And this um, vaccine is not a, a human vaccine, um, but it is a vaccine given to animals that effectively has eliminated the concern of rabies um, to um, to humans, the contraction of rabies to humans. So I don't know if you all are old enough, like me, <laughs> um, to remember when there was at least a little bit more of sensationalizing, I guess, of that of the rabies vaccine. And it was uh, somewhat an issue. So when I was younger, and I think there's moments in my life where I will still think about rabies today, not just being an animal owner, but <laughs> particularly with squirrels. Um, so there, I can remember conversations um, coming more than likely pretty much through um, the news and um, and even um, I think public service work, where it was there were um, a lot of information going out to encourage people to get their animals vaccinated, and so forth and so on. And if they happen to come across uh, a stray animal, a stray dog, and there I can remember. Um, this information about what's the, the foaming of the mouth and erratic behavior, aggression, um, and things like that um, that you're supposed to look for in stray, in stray dogs, particularly if they possibly could have the, ra the rabies disease that could, again, be transmitted to humans through their bite. So I also... Um, so there was also conversations. And so why I say that when I think about um, when I think about rabies and squirrels. So it's also known or said that um, most of the time squirrels or raccoons or anything like that are afraid of humans. So they run away. So I can remember it being said if they're acting unusual and they seem to approach you and come for you, then you should know that they probably have rabies and you should get away as soon as possible. 
So here and there, <laughs> I am one to probably have that thought in my mind when I see a squirrel run across the yard and decide that he might, uh, that the squirrel might be standing too still for me as I approach or something like that. Um, so <clears throat> again, um, that also is just another example of conversations throughout the public coming from the news, coming information coming from the government or information coming from agencies who are interested in protecting the health of both at this point, both humans and, um, animals to where, um, it, it affects your conscience. It affects your thought process. Um, so I can remember that. I can remember um, at least conversations about polio. Um, and I think, for example, one of the conversations I know for sure, both of my parents have the, the circular indentation in their arm. And so I can remember um, having that conversation about, you know, well, what is that? And so in that conversation, it was polio. And of course, as a kid, you continue to say, well, what's that? And it was this disease and it was that and it was this and this. And But we get vaccinations and you're no longer hurt by it or harmed by it. Um, so... In the U.S., as far as polio is concerned, polio didn't, um, there wasn't a vaccine until 1954. So that would be in the time of the baby boomers. So my parents would be baby, baby boomers. So they were born just six and seven years after this vaccine was developed. So they were still be within that first uh, round of that first generation of folks to get the, the polio vaccine. Um, and when the polio vaccine was released, it was only 80 to 90% effective. And the U S has not seen a polio case since 1979 since then. Okay. Um, but like I said, polio is one of those things, again, the only thing that has been completely eradicated is smallpox. Polio is one of those things that it is noted. And I did make sure to go double check my source. This was from history.com. So it is noted that um, it is still an issue in um, some Afghan and Pakistani countries. So they still have, they, they still have been dealing with that issue. So that's once again to where um, just evidence that there are still still some of these things that we don't naturally think about as U.S. citizens, but there's still other areas and regions that are still battling with that. Um, this article doesn't say why, um, but the fact of the matter is it, it's still a, a health issue there. Um, and so if we don't know what polio is or what it does, um, it is effect effectively a viral infection that causes paralysis. 
And eventually it will paralyze everything, including your breathing. So it will cause you to stop breathing. And once you stop breathing, of course, you die. Um, Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, yeah. So those are um, as far as, and I mentioned the flu. Um, we have... Uh, we do have a vaccine. I know for sure everybody does not get the vaccine every year. I myself do not get the flu vaccine every year. And part of that is because the flu has become um, something that um, we're not so concerned about. So every year as a younger, healthy person, I do not block to the doctor to get my flu shot. As a matter of fact, last year, my doctor literally had to convince me by portraying a image of sick children to me with the flu. And I will say that within the last two years, there have been a strands of flu that um, I know in the news has begun to talk about um, being stronger and more virulent and has has caused the death of younger, healthier people. Um, and so part of this conversation was that. And she was also saying to me that, you know, it's been so strong and so deadly lately. And that even if it wasn't me that got sick, that I still should think about the children that I worked with. So if you um, know me and a little bit about my history, I do feel like I've I mentioned it. Everybody at this point, if you're following, should know that once upon a time I was a teacher. And the fact of the matter is, is I still volunteer my time in uh, the classroom. I'm even now a newly appointed board member to a brand new school that my mother opened. So... Anyway, um, so I still spend a lot of time with kids. And so the doctor convinced me to get the flu shot on my way out the door because she said to me, you know, she said, well, have you ever seen kids have it? And when it gets really bad and they have to be hospitalized? And I was like, nope. And then she was like, it's just ugly. It's just something you don't want to don't want to see. So that was what convinced me last year on top of the news information like that pushed me over because there was news information though to begin to say that the last couple years have been pretty stronger and and more deadly than what we've seen um so with the flu the deadliest outbreak was the 1918-1919 pandemic which is what we've been hearing about as well and what this current pandemic has been um compared to and that was the spanish flu Interesting enough, when I was reading this, the Spanish flu was the H1N1 strand of flu. If, again, you have any sense of history over or, or, or 
can remember, I should say, say, not any sense of history, but can remember and have paid attention. Um, there was an H1N1 scare not too long ago. I don't remember exactly when, but pro- within the last 10 to 15 years, and um, I think I remember it like coming... Um, there was, well, really, let's put it this way. There was two different strands that were H1N1, and that is what we commonly knew as the um, bird flu and as the swine flu. So there was two different outbreaks that were pretty notable and and scary in the news. I My recollection of it is it wasn't, again, it did not end up being a huge issue within the borders of the United States, Um, but they started in in South America, Central America areas. Um, There was an immediate reaction to um, limits, um, particularly like meat consumption from those areas, especially I think I remember with the, um, the swine flu. And so as soon as it was announced, seemingly it was, especially in our our constant news cycle, it was pretty much over. (laughs) And so um, there were a minimal amount of American citizens who were affected by this. So it didn't become a a big seeming. It didn't become a big deal. It didn't it didn't cause the pandemic effects. But. Um, in this article, this is noting that the 1918 flu was deadlier than World War One, so it killed more people in World War One um, than than World War One did. Okay, um, so all right. So that was that as far as just the things that we don't think about anymore and the the diseases that we don't think about that have been eradicated by a vaccine. Um, so I think the point of that is also to consider in that sense the importance of vaccines and the the health benefits that vaccines have. Um, I did just in a little bit go down the rabbit hole as far as that is concerned. And, you know, so with that, the argument comes, well, this is just too soon. Vaccines take years to produce, years to, years to, years to study, years to produce, years to get legally licensed um, an FDA approval. So this has now been done in months. This does not make sense. <clears throat> well, my just off the cuff argument that I'm just going to say that has no evidence behind it or anything like that. But the deal of it is, though, for me is the one part about it being 2020 and the one part about it being us having the technological advancements that we do have is that why should it continue to take so long to develop medicines um, when systems and processes and people are working at this 
every day. And we that's the part of 2020 that I think should be a benefit. That's the part of 2020 that I do believe that we should be thinking about in the sense of um, our the way that our society is structured, that we're now at a point that um, it shouldn't work at a sales speed. And if something took years before, it should not necessarily take years um, at this point to develop now. However, I will um, put that into a caveat in the sense that um, I do get the fact that especially when it comes to science and medical science and something that's you're going to put into your body, that no, we don't want the process rushed. We don't want, we do want it to go through the studies of rigor and what we would say is rigorous. Although I don't think we know what rigorous is, to be honest, as a general population. Like, what does that mean other than a timeline, right? Um, so we want the rigor. We want the scientific study. We, we should want... We should want some of the back and forth and the debate about whether or not it's effective or not effective. And we should also want to understand the consequences or what we commonly know as the side effects. And I do think side effects are a big deal. Um, And in the case of side effects with all medicine, that is a cost benefit situation, right? And so that situation is whether or not the side effects, the benefit of the drug outweighs the side effects of the drug or the potentiality of the side effects happening. So I think in legalese and full disclosure, the, 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 the effort to have disclosures, um, we find ourselves inundated with again these commercials and these different pills and different different um um different treatments for diseases and we all of a sudden you know commonly get this list of all these side effects and you can be overwhelmed and I've done it myself and you sit up here and and you hear these side effects and you go well I don't know I don't know if those side effects, you know, especially the ones that say, and it may cause death, right? Um, so you definitely sit here and say, well, I, I, do I want to take this drug? Do I want to risk the chance? Um, but I do think one of the things that we have to consider in that most of the time, and if you have a trusted physician and somebody that you're talking with, with your treatment plans and medications and things like that, is that a lot of that, again, is disclosure. And disclosure is telling you the possibilities and the fact that the human body is so complex and everybody's reaction is so different. I mean, you know, we can even just say that, like, the consequence of eating a strawberry for each person is completely different, right? There's the side effects of to some people that range from death um, because of an allergy, for example, of eating a strawberry to 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 um, itchiness and hives to um, 
a bitter taste of some manner to pure pleasure in in the fact that they love to enjoy and, and enjoy strawberries. Um, so again, that's just anecdotal to think about ingesting something, each person ingesting something and for sure drug, you know, drugs. We are doing a cost benefit analysis. And then when we're listening to the potential side effects, we are saying what the possibility could be. And in, in, in we're in a point <laughs> where we're definitely in a point in our society that in order to protect ourselves, we have to go to the extreme. This is now just very <laughs> coming to my head as very relevant anecdotal as well. In the case of Gorilla Glue. So if you guys have been on, um, and this is a little sidetrack, but if you guys have been on social media, we have seen a young lady um, who looks like she might not be that young. She should be old enough to know better. But hey, she substituted Gorilla Glue for her hairspray that she did not have. People are very invested in her at this point. Me included. So I've been doing my updates in the past few days. I think initially I saw it maybe about three days ago, just as the weekend arrived or something like that. And she had posted how looking for help to the fact that she had glued her hair down to her scalp and couldn't um, get it out. So now basically today's update is to the point that she's even gone to the emergency room and there was no immediate solution. Um, the emergency room um, attempt was basically using nail polish to get nail polish remover to get the um, glue out of her hair. And it was so painful that she opted to do it at home. But at this point, um, I still don't think she's had very much su success. So anyway, now the conversation has moved to potentially suing Gorilla Glue because it did not tell her specifically on the bottle not to use it in her hair. So again, giving that back to manufacturers of medicines, we're in a state that if you don't fully disclose everything or any potentiality that it can open you up for some legal repercussions. And so we're in that sense that we're trying to, that manufacturers and businesses do try to do that. That's the McDonald's effect. Again, it, this isn't if you're old enough situation that there is a reason why McDonald's coffee cups now say contents may be hot. There was, and I believe this was a 90s moment. I'm almost pretty sure it was a 90s moment where a woman went to McDonald's, ordered coffee, spilled the coffee on herself. It scalded her. And she then sued McDonald's for their coffee being too hot. And so she won that lawsuit. And ever since then, there has now been a disclosure on coffee cups at McDonald's. And 
I don't think I've ever paid attention anywhere else, but I'm pretty sure they're on everybody's coffee cups that the contents may be hot. And it's, it is to just simply say, so again, that's my whole spiel about disclosure. So we got to, I'm asking us to think about that as we're even thinking about any, uh, any treatments at all, you know, so we get a list of side effects and the doctor's telling you like, this might happen. Um, but we have to, we have to know that, or not even the doctor, at least the bottle is telling you, if you have a doctor like mine, the doctor will tell you what she has seen. And most of the time, or he or she, most of the time, what he or she has experienced with other patients reporting to them is not going to be the full disclosure of what's on the bottle, you know? Um, so there is a treatment that I'm on that, you know, I've, I have some stomach upset. And so I was talking to the doctor. The doctor said, oh, it's common and it normally lasts for X, Y, Z. And this is what you can do about that. Um, so anyhow, um, that's also just a way or a suggestion to balance out what you see on a commercial and what's given by a manufacturer to cover all their bases to what is anecdotal in the sense that um, someone who has experience with it may have. Um, so anyway, so getting um, back to the timing of the COVID-19 development, um, there is a article in Biospace that talks about this time that I found. Um, it was published on December 3rd by Will Brothers. Um, <clears throat> he talks about quickly that the fastest vaccine that was ever developed was that for, for mumps. That is something that we should all possibly recognize the MMR vaccine, Mabel's mumps and rubella that we get. And that was developed in 1967 and it took four years. Um, he does talk about the fact that the process of vaccine development typically, typically does take about 10 to 15 years. Um, and so this, this development is unprecedented. Um, and honestly, in this, this, um, kind of research, I have seen some applause, I would say, for Operation Warp Speed and um, the way that they coordinated and were able to expedite the process. Um, and the biggest thing for Warp Speed that he mentions is the allocation of funds um, that was able to put focus on this vaccine. Um, he also talks about the fact that um, as soon as the, as soon as the Chinese notice in January that, um, there was an issue before, so basically before the worldwide spread, 
when it was kind of centralized to Wuhan or centralized to China, Chinese scientists did a great job at releasing the data and information on the genome. Um, so they immediately went into a process and the World Health with the World Health Organization to where they released, you know, pretty just basically the data and information on what was there and and what they knew about the disease um, and made that available to other to everyone around the world. Then additionally, again, with the people that have these jobs day in and day out and do stuff, every, like I mentioned before, um, they were also able to capitalize on years of mRNA research. So um, this article says, given the safety concerns, two companies, namely Moderna and, Pfi and Pfizer, I'm sorry, my habit of saying Pfizer just because I'd like to be silly, the latter of whom did not participate in OWS, but rather took funds from a similar German government program, decided to pursue a long Theorized but yet to be realized vaccine technology. This technology known as mRNA vaccine take a slightly altered approach to vaccination protocols. Instead of inoculating people with a whole but altered virus, if you guys knew anything about how viruses were created before, um, it used to be the actual virus in an, a, another form. A lot of people used to say a dead, vi dead virus. So, but altered virus for which antibodies would be created against... What anti so it's injected and antibodies are created. They instead encode a messenger RNA, mRNA, with the information to produce the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. Using the ribosomes in our cell, just like the virus does, then mRNAs will be translated into an excretable version of the spike protein. The advantage and cha challenge of using mRNA is that RNA molecules are inherently unstable in our bodies. This means that effective delivery of the mRNA will not be critical, will be a critical problem to solve, but the instability could also mean that any side effects of the vaccine are largely acute and display relatively rapid onset. Since the spike protein is obviously foreign to our bodies and is abundant on the surface of the virus as it is required to get entry into host cells. This makes, this makes, is an excellent target for memory B cells to produce antibodies against. Okay, so that's all some scientific verbiage and I really do wish that I could go into and we can't and we won't. It'll probably be just way too much on what mRNA is and et cetera. Um, that's one of those studies that I do remember um, having some, some conversation about during my courses in biology. But nonetheless, the point of that is, is that there have been scientists and studies on mRNA that have been doing the work for many years. And so at this point, because the work has been done, um, they were just able to use that research um, and capitalize on it. And, and, and move a little more quickly to find a different vaccine. Um, so huh, we are going to wrap it up there. Um, I do not and did not put any requests for comments out this week. 
But with all of that being said, I hope I give you a little bit of of little bit to chew on, basically, about the vaccine and the virus and where we are. And to make a little bit of sense out of the fact that this is not some apocalyptic event. Um, this is not, this is not some, uh, terrorist events or especially at least not likely any real terrorist event, but this is something that is a normal course and process of, again, human society that we've seen for many, many years, um, as people have interacted with one another, became closer to one another, started introducing and using new animals for either work or for food. Um, all of those things cause the onset of um, change. And a lot of times, unfortunately, and this is not making light of anything, but some of that change does have very hurtful and detrimental consequences until solutions are are um, brought together. And a lot of times those solutions are brought together by government entities. And to be truthful in my mind and the way that I think about it, the government is here for the common good. And so oftentimes that does mean making very difficult decisions. Um, and trying to do the best for the most winners, even when there are some losers. So um, having winners and losers is a, is a basic, is some ways to express some of the cost benefit and, and other um, kind of economic or policy consequences anyway. Um, and so unfortunately, you know, there's not... There, there are hard decisions to be made a lot of times, and there's, there's hard con- consequences to su- suffer through until the best solution possible. And, and the best solution possible is not something that makes everyone happy either. So anyway, I did want to get into the anti-vaxxer stuff too. Um, the pretty much that is also something that is really um, affecting our consciousness and whether or not we trust this vaccine. Um, the anti-vaxxer movement, as we know it, um, surfaced in 2000 um, and kind of ran pretty rampant for about 10 years until it was completely uh, debunked. But those 10 years were really detrimental and there are both um well, 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 pretty much that it has become somewhat of a political ideology, even though it does cross uh, sides. So you can find um, a lot of the anti-vaxxers on both sides of the aisle, whether you are liberal or um, conservative. Um, but it has been found in health and wellness group. And then in far right Tea Party, um, far right Tea Party groups. 
So that's pretty interesting. Um, but I'll pretty much leave that there at the end of the day. Um, the deal of it is, is it, anti-vaxxer was really relating vaccines to autism. Um, the fact of the matter is, is there's not research. There is no real research that relates those two things. And again, in terms of cost benefit, most, um, most things have been said to, um, it has obviously, as we talked about, even some of the big um, diseases that we had have been actually done for the best. So um, I'm gonna leave all of that with you. It is such a huge deal. Again, you guys, I'm gonna be safe. I pray for everyone um, that is going through some hard times. Um, I'm, I'm right there, know that I'm right there with you um, and just trying to walk through this with a steady hand and some, um, some, some information, <laughs> some information. So I hope that some of this helps you or at least gives you something to think about. And so that is all for me, Ashley R. Evans. Um, for today. So I will see you all soon. And again, be well. The FCB Radio Network, first class broadcasting worldwide.